0: Seven wins on the spin, a fifth clean sheet in six games, still 10 points clear at the top. Our Norwich City the champions in waiting? The Premier League is certainly calling. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We're looking back on a 3-0 home win over Luton as well as The midweek 1-0 win over Brentford, which was obviously a massive result for City. Uh, Another three games in seven days. So it's been a busy old week and we've got plenty to get through. I'm Dave Freezer. I'm your host. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM, joined by Paddy David and Connor Southwell to look back on. Well, as I put it in my video verdict, Paddy, it just feels to me, as somebody who's been following Norwich their whole life, disconcerting at how well things are going. It's just far too smooth. Certainly is now,
1: yeah. I don't know if that would have been the feeling, Millwall, Middlesbrough, Swansea, but since Swansea, it's uh, well, you know, for the stats lovers out there, seven wins, you know, five clean sheets. Is it? It's just the uh, team Upuki rediscovering where the goal is in big, in a big, big way. And uh, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit of fantasy football sort of uh, as if you were playing football manager type thing, and, uh, and you had it on cheat mode or something. I don't know, but uh, it is um a phenomenal level of consistency and it is a testament to Daniel and his players uh, and all the preparatory work that's gone in because when it mattered at this stage of the season, it's all come together perfectly. Um, And really from this point, yes, okay. You look at the league table this morning, there is a little bit of work still to do, but uh, I don't think anybody could conceivably see Norwich not in the Premier League now next season. And, you know, for a, as Daniel uh, uh, said before a ball was kicked out this field, the day of the season, he said, this is a difficult task for the simple reason, since he's arrived in England, 2017, one team came straight back at the first attempt, having been relegated. That team was full on last season. They needed the playoff final. They needed extra time at the playoff final. And yet, seemingly Norwich are going to book that trend. And uh, that is a, a phenomenal achievement. And it will rightly sit in the history of Norwich City forevermore. Um, you know, we can, you can probably get into debates, and I've already started to see debates about where does Farker rank in terms of Norwich's pantheon of managers. But much like pairing teams, it's different eras, different variables at play. All you can say right here, right now is what him and his players are doing is very, very special.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, if, if he seals a second promotion, then he's definitely got to be top 10, but I think uh Premier League stability is needed before he can really push the top 5 as brilliantly as he's done and and as much of a cultural impact as he's made. And Pad got give you a bit of credit. I think uh the pod after the 2-0 win over Cardiff just before Christmas, I believe yeah. that was when you came out with the line they're looking unstoppable. So and I think I went with that with the title of that pod. So uh I think well you, you've
1: it's nice of you to say that, DF, but to be fair, there's been a later pod where I anointed Brentford as the champions, and that's not looking <laughs> good. So uh, I'll take the good one, and we'll forget the bad one. But uh, yeah, no, they, they certainly, yeah, it's a good word. They do look in all now, and uh, I saw quite an amusing. Obviously, the next game now, after this clear week ahead, is Sheffield Wednesday away, who are really, really struggling, looking like they're probably going to head to League One, and I saw a Sheffield Wednesday fan tweeting this morning that, Oh, We're going to get battered, but I'm going to watch the game anyway on Sky. So, you know, that's kind of the mentality of a lot of the league now. It is almost, oh, God, we've got Norwich next. Pray for us and we'll just get past it. Nathan Jones, will get into it in due course, Luton's manager yesterday. Um, he said it isn't defeatism, it was realism, but Norwich are a cut apart. And 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 actually, from what I'm led to believe, went into the dressing room at the end and said to his players, look, put this to to one side, it is really not a game that, you know, we need to reproach ourselves about. Norwich are simply head and shoulders above anything else in the division. Dust yourself down, boys, and then look for the more winnable games ahead in terms of what their objectives are. And that probably is the approach of a lot of the championship now, that Norwich are simply, if Norwich are at it, as they have been in these last seven games, there's nothing can stop them in this league. The only only way they'd lose games is if, for me is if they're not at it, there's a little bit of complacency. Um, They just take their eye off the ball a little bit. But at this stage, there looks to be absolutely no sign of that. So yeah, pray for Sheffield Wednesday, I think.
0: No, they look hungry. They look like they're enjoying it. Uh, Connor, a few numbers for you then. Um, in the last 10 seasons in the Championship, the only team to have more than 76 points after 35 games was Leicester in 2014. Uh, they ended up getting 102 points. They were on 80 at this stage. Uh, the champions of 2017 were Newcastle and Wolves in 2018. They both had 76 as well. So Norwich are very much moving in the right direction. And I think from this point, it, you can't avoid it really. For Norwich not go up, it would
2: have to be some kind of epic implosion, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really, it really would. Those numbers aren't bad, are they? When you when you consider some don't or didn't regard there to be a standout team a, a few weeks ago. So <laughs> I, I think that's that's been completely um, completely proven to be false. But yeah, I, I was sort of sat at, um, at the full time yesterday. I was kind of thinking back to last summer when Daniel Farker was, was doing his media by the side of the pitch and it was kind of asking why it had gone wrong, and um, this was with games to spare. About why they were going to get relegated, and why it, uh, they hadn't been able to up their levels after project restart. And we're now sitting in early March, and we're talking about, and uh, well, we're talking about a Premier League return as if it's an inevitability, which I think it is at this stage. And um, the numbers are incredible. The, the points return is incredible. The mentality of the group is incredible. And I, I wrote um, for my column on Saturday. I think that this team doesn't have the flair or the um, the kind of attacking. Um, they're maybe not they're maybe not as fun as they were two years ago, but actually they're they're a lot more ruthless. And I think if you pitted the two sides against each other, I think this team would win just because they're they're more intelligent, they're defensively robust. I mean, we we spoke um glowingly about Swansea's defensive numbers a, a couple of weeks ago, and Norwich aren't far off them in terms of um, defensive um, goals conceded and stuff like that. Now, so it's looking very good. And I'm with you, David, it is quite disconcerting. It does feel like there's a bump in the road to come somewhere. It just feels like there's an inevitability about that having, um, having followed Norwich, but yeah, it's, it's all smooth. It's all positive. And um, considering obviously the fans not being there and stuff, I think it's as, as pleasant as it can be at the moment. And yeah, I think it's a matter of, of when, not if they finish the job. Um, but I, I would I would actually agree I uh, disagree rather with Daniel Farquhar. I think they've probably got enough points now to be fairly safe in the playoffs. And I think probably ten more would would probably do it for automatics if I'm if I'm being honest. Maybe not mathematically, but um I don't think anyone would catch them on, on eighty eight, for example. So um yeah, it's it's a matter of when for me. Yeah, I can back you up with some numbers on that in just a second. Um but yeah, what
0: what's wonderful about the fact that if there is a bump in the road, which that, you know, if they were to lose a game, it's not going to be any great surprise. They do have some difficult games still to come. Bournemouth, Watford, Reading, Barnsley. Um, but hopefully they'll be pretty much over the line by then with the way things uh, are going. But the wonderful thing is they can afford it. They can lose a game and people aren't going to throw their toys out of the pram and have a real panic. They they probably will lose one. But I, I did a piece, uh, usual summer piece, that um, I work out ahead of the season. Over the last 10 championship seasons, the average points for where people have finished so the champions uh, the average points was 93 to finish second was 88 and to finish sixth was 74 so they're already on 76 they are in the playoffs obviously not mathematically but they will be there's no, no chance they've not qualified so there we go right well before we get stuck into the game how, how are things otherwise in, in life in general uh, pad as i said at the top of the show three games it's all just it's just flying past isn't it but as we were just talking about a bit before uh, before we started recording, it is as as we record today on Sunday, exactly a year since that game at Sheffield United, the last game where Norwich fans were were there. A few days ago was obviously a year since the the Tottenham game, and nine thousand Norwich fans there that night. But the the a couple of things in my, my mind from those two before the Tottenham game, I remember. Um, I was being in the press room and uh, I was talking to our former colleague, Michael Bailey, and um, news dropped in on Twitter that they postponed the James Bond film um, again because of the pandemic. And here we are a year later, that still hasn't been released. So that's one that's always stuck in my mind. And the Sheffield United game was the first weekend that the Premier League told the players not to shake hands in the pre-match formalities. And you think uh, even at that stage, even as we went, we were at Bramall Lane that day, we had no idea what was to come, did we?
1: Oh, no, absolutely not, both in football and life in general, I think. Um, you know, we'll, we will look back in, in years to come and uh, and it will be, you know, one of the major historical events of this century, won't it, ultimately. So, um, to be living through that now, it's probably hard to have that detachment and that perspective about it, but there's no doubt about it, and if we talk it narrowly through football, then, yeah. Um, and, and clubs will probably be living with this. I mean, it is, it is a wonder to me because... After the first lockdown, or going through the first lockdown, there was a lot of talk purely, again, in just the footballing sense about clubs will go to the wall. Stuart Webber talked about it as well, that it's just not sustainable. No revenue from, you know, no supporters in the ground, which is relative to proportion of revenue for lower league clubs is absolutely massive, less so obviously with TV revenue if you're in the Premier League. Uh, and as we sit in now, I don't think any clubs, as a result of the pandemic, have gone to the wall yet. We obviously know with, with Kings Lynn at National League level, there's a lot of pressure on those clubs as well. But for me, it's you know, you're talking about anniversaries, and I, and I think it probably will be the next season and the next season after when we really see them, really see the impact on football uh, um, in this country. And uh, it would be sad to see clubs go. Um, but I am frankly amazed that, that no clubs have gone yet because I. I really don't know how clubs lower down the pecking order and managing to, you know, hand-to-mouth existence in terms of the finances around it. Um, because even before any pandemic, you know, there was always that sense that there's quite a few clubs teetering on the edge because they're not really being managed properly off the pitch financially. Um, and, it, it, and that brings us full circle to Norwich and the way they've they've managed it. You know, Zoe Ward, again, recently did a fans forum uh, with Ben Kensal and one or two other people behind the scenes and pegged at about 12 million hit this season. That was 12 million last season. So, you know, a a cyclical once in a generation, once in a century, maybe event for Norwich City, that's a 25 million pound hole they've tried to fill. Um, And obviously if, and when they do get back to the Premier League, it looks like they're going to be far better insulated than the vast, vast majority of clubs in this country. Um, But it is a testament to how Norwich have managed their way through it. And, you know, again, you just have to marvel at that they're still able to put a team on the pitch that is competitive to the degree that they're 10 points clear with 11 games left in the championship. Uh, you know, if, I, if I'm not an Orange fan. If I was an Orange fan, I would be forever thankful that I had, during this period, the likes of Daniel Farkas, Stuart Webber, give them a name-check, Delia and Michael as well, as the custodians of this football club, because, um, because you're going to be far better coming through this as a football club then I would say the vast, vast majority of clubs in this country. And that is testament to, you know, their steadiness and sure-footedness. Um, and maybe, obviously, the fact that they didn't go and spend lavishly the last time we were in the Premier League. It's also a reflection of that as well. That, And we, I talked to Daniel about this again on Friday, that there is this mid- to longer-term thing that stamped through every decision Norwich make now as a club. And it's about... Legacy, And it's about passing it on to whether it's Delia or Michael, whether it's Daniel, whether it's Stuart Webber, in their respective roles, passing this club on in a healthier state than when they inherited it. And right here, right now, you, you would have to t- take your hat off to them that they've done that in a period that we've never lived through before and hopefully we never have to again.
0: Absolutely. And your boys sort of back that up a bit as well, don't they? Talk now that they're going to be going back to the Rico arena after a couple of seasons away. So Norwich fans, uh, do need to appreciate what they got in, you know, as much as we know, the, uh, the sort of storylines that we've got ahead of us now, the, uh, Forever battle to uh, become established in the in the Premier League, but uh, Stuart Weber has pitched it previously, hasn't he? That, that their aim is to be top twenty six in the country, and they look like they will achieve achieve that again this season, as we just said. Uh, Connor, how how are you finding things? I mean. I can't wait until we, the four of us, can go back to a game together again because that was the last one, Sheffield United, wasn't it? When us three and and Tony Thrussell, our video man, as well, we were all able to travel together and and go to the game and you know record a pod on the way home and 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 the way things used to be. Um, fortunately, we've always got one in at least one into every game. We've got two into every game more than we probably thought we would do but obviously that's meant you've had to watch more iFollow games than you would have liked um but so sort of how, how are you finding finding sort of
2: football life as it is at the moment it's yeah it's strange isn't it um i, th- I think it was kind of epitomised after wednesday against brentford where um it was such a such a massive game e- even though i maybe it wasn't as big for norwich as it was for brentford but it was it was a massive win for norwich and um it's the, kind of the reason we're talking about the inevitability of a premier league return and, and character and all of that it showed all of that and um if that would have been a full carrow road the the celebrations at the end whether it was the Farker waves or um the applause to the players it, it would have been um it would have been um, probably recorded on the on the decibel level, I should think. But the the fact that those celebrations were kind of just high fives between players, and then it kind of got lost in the in the cold air as it was on Wednesday, kind of illustrates where we are. It's 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 really difficult, I think, um, because even though it, things are going right on the pitch and. There is uh, a lot to celebrate. There's still this sadness that sort of tinges everything because um, it it shouldn't be the way it is. It, it should be shared with what twenty seven thousand other people in the flesh and beyond, and and it's and it's not. And, and the fact that even when they when they do get promoted, and usually there'd be a parade and there'd be this moment in the city where um, football takes over and it's yellow and green. and It's a glorious sight at City Hall or wherever this year it's not going to, well, it doesn't look like it's going to be that, whether it's that further down the line or not, I'm not so sure, but there is kind of this factor that regardless of how good they are this season and, and how many points they do get. And, you know, let, let's, let's be honest, they could quite feasibly, it's still mathematically possible, whether, it, whether it actually happens or not, I'm not sure they could, they could get a hundred points and that would be an incredible achievement for an Ory City side, particularly given they did it two years ago. Um, and, and, People will reflect on this season. And there'll always be that asterisk next to it, won't there? And, and their achievement won't ever fully be sort of discussed about in the same way as as maybe the memories that were created amongst supporters were two years ago. So it's it's an incredibly difficult time because you've got this conflict between celebration and yet um, there'll be people listening to this and people at home longing to be there and and longing to share it. So yeah, it's it's really difficult. It's it's been interesting covering games on, um, from home and and on iFollow because you kind of share the support's pain. in many ways it's good for some people and we can't obviously um, talk about everyone in the round because everyone's circumstances is different there'll be people overseas who are watching more Norwich games than they've ever watched and that's brilliant and it for a lot of people it would have connected them a lot more with the football club but for others who have season tickets whole uh, season tickets and go every week it's it's a a different experience I think and um, it's it's certainly not the same it's certainly not the same for for us covering it I know you guys have both done it a couple of times from home as well and it's It's not necessarily the game you miss, it's the bits around the game and um the uh, for example, on Wednesday night, the way Alex Tetty and Jordan Hugill and others were on the sideline, they're really roaring their their teammates on even before yesterday's goal. There was a, a nice moment just as um Todd Campbell picked up the ball, and Jordan Hugill was really encouraging him to take on his man and uh, I think he tweeted that he claimed the an assist and stuff like that that sort of stuff you miss isn't it and, and you don't get to view the whole pitch so. Um, it is it's really positive at the moment, but equally it's it's quite difficult so it's it's a difficult one to balance I think but as as pads said at the top, it's just a shame it's not being shared with with the supporters because um, it's been, some of the football they play and, and some of the performances they're putting in are, are really outstanding and it's going to get lost I think a bit in the history books. Yeah, it is a shame. I do miss that post match buzz.
0: Welcome. To the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City Podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archand. Right, let's get stuck into the game. And the big news, of course, which everyone has been talking about Max Aaron's is no longer called Max Aaron's. He's gone through a Louis Graban <laughs> a sort of rebrand. Uh, it is Max Ahrens, which I'm going to really struggle to get used to, having first interviewed Max like three years ago, I think, when he was in the FA Youth Cup team. I think that was his first ever interview as, a, as sort of a, a player coming through and stuff. So um, I'll play you a little bit of uh, the audio in just a, a second on that one. Me and Chris Gorham were speaking to Max after the game. Uh, various bits and pieces. You can have, already have a look at Pinkin.com. Um, uh, about that bid that Stuart Webber had revealed um had arrived for Max during January. That, that was when Pad was speaking to Stuart last month and uh, said that of all the transfer speculation that there had been, the only bid to arrive was for Max and no one had reported it. Uh, now, the Sun subsequently have said that that was Roma, the Italian side. Um, so he spoke to Max a bit about that and he just said that it, it wasn't one that was the right fit at the time and they uh, he just wanted to stay focused on his football. So, uh, yeah, pinkin.com for that one. Uh, there'll be a bit more to come during the week. Um, there was a bit of talk about Jamaica wanting to call him up, but Max saying... it it is correct that he qualifies for his dad so he could technically be called up but he's not looking for that and the only thing he's thinking about is the England under 21s at the moment they have got the group stages of the under 21 euros later this month in Slovenia so um sort of distancing himself from that but I think you need to hear the audio of this one so this was me and Chris Gorham talking to Max Ahrens about how we should be pronouncing his name
3: yeah so the the family name is actually Ahrens and that's how everyone says it in my family Um, and that's how that's how I say it but obviously when I came into the team uh, I didn't really want to say anything um, a few years ago um, I didn't really say anything and obviously um, my cousin who's at Sheff- um, Huddersfield sorry uh, since he started playing again he'd, he'd kind of not become annoyed but he'd, he'd heard Aaron's a lot um, and, he, and he put a I I think he said to, to everyone you know it's, it's Aaron's um, and then that came up last night I think it was everyone was like oh it's been three years or something and and we haven't had we haven't heard anything so I was just kind of I'd kind of accepted that that everyone was saying Aaron's but since he since he you know he kind of made me aware that he wanted the name to be said properly and and obviously so do I but um it wasn't until he'd kind of brought it up that yeah, I've put, put it forward as well now.
1: You could have done, you know. We wouldn't have minded. You're... Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I know, no, I know. I know.
3: But um, no, I just kind of. I, I even said to my mum and dad a while ago, a few years ago, I was just like, I'll just leave it.
0: So that was the bombshell out of the way. Uh, let's get to uh, get to the football though, Pad. Timu Puki, just in majestic form, isn't he? Nine goals in seven games. He should have had more goals on Wednesday against Brentford, shouldn't he? But he is now five goals short of entering the all-time top ten. For a free transfer, I mean, what a piece of scouting he's turned out to be.
1: Absolutely, said to Daniel after the game yesterday. We need to talk about him, but what more is there really to say? <laughs> yeah. Daniel, sort of, yeah, just shrugged his shoulders. What more is there to say? Yeah, fantastic. um a player who we seem to be talking a lot about legacy and and the historical timeline of this club. I think he'll be right up there, certainly in terms of recruitment. You would be very hard-pushed to find somebody who's contributed more than he has in the time frame he's been there. Phenomenal. Um, I saw a stat before we started recording. He's only the third player to go 20 goals plus, 20 goals plus back-to-back in the Championship uh, since Tammy Abraham and Dwight Gale. So he's in a very select company there in terms of the modern era, um, and he's not finished yet because if he stays clear of injury uh, and the way Norwich are going, he's going to get plenty more chances. If I was Ivan Tony, I wouldn't be necessarily getting the, the getting the space on the mantelpiece with the golden boot. <laughs> uh, there's five goals in it, uh, so he's got a bit of work to make up. But uh, yeah, I mean, he scored two yesterday, and if he'd, if that back heel had gone in, the the one that Emmy Bwende shot and he got in the way, but just improvised and forced Simon Sluger to tip it over, then God knows would be I'd, I'd be talking about it in the same realms as Johnny Allison, Nottingham Forest type goal. It was uh, unbelievable. And it typifies that and also the, the finish for the first goal, the touch and then hit, the power he got on it and the accuracy to put it in the top corner. He's a man full of confidence now. And it's great to see because, you know, to take, what we just discussed there 12 months ago, uh, Timu Puki is not that player at all. He's uh, he's uh, shoulders hunched. The world seems to be weighing him down and uh, he just looks leggy and weary and mentally a bit frazzled. And now he's uh, been transformed again. And he's, um, you know, you can debate whether it's the same player from two years ago, but the, certainly the numbers would tell you he's closing in on that again. And um, yeah, long may it continue. Um, and obviously with him, you know, should they get up again? I'm sure he will look at it as a despite obviously starting very well in the Premier League first time around, and he was the Player of the Month I think for August, uh, first player since Effenkochi was it score a hat trick in the in the top flight. Um, he will probably feel he has a little bit of unfinished business there. So for him on a personal level, great. And I, and I thought it was just final thing I'd say is obviously he was February's Player of the Month for the club in terms of the vote from the fans, and he did a little bit of media around that on Friday. Um, and was asked about the goals and the individual accolades. And he said, look, one goal and that goal is to get Norwich back to the Premier League. And if by him scoring goals, by definition, Norwich get back to the Premier League, he's done his job. And, um, you know, there might be some players who you hear that and you think, well, that's a very polished soundbite, but we really know you don't mean it, that you're all about. No, with him, he is quite clearly a very selfless individual. It is about the team and uh, special player, special character. Savour him, Norwich fans, definitely.
0: Absolutely. Uh, turns 31 later this month. So um, I think we'll we'll have a fair bit of debate about that. But I, yeah, I, I get the feeling that the most Norwich fans certainly feel that Pukie, um is deserving of being, um, you know, in the mix for the starting striker. But you'd like to see somebody else's really strong competition, wouldn't you? But we've got plenty of time to discuss that sort of stuff. The golden boot, as you mentioned it, not quite wrapped up. I, I was... Fortunate enough at Villa Park a couple of years ago to actually have a have a hold of Timu Buki's trophy, the golden boot. That is heavy. I don't know if he's actually made of gold, but um, Michael was sharp enough to actually ask Timu after uh, the interview in the mix zone to have a photo of him with uh, the golden boot. I uh, stupidly didn't ask for the same. I wish I had done because uh, that was quite a privilege to be able to um, actually have a have a hold of the golden boot because it's certainly the closest I'm ever going to get to it. Um, but, Connor, the, the reality is um, is that he should have had a hat-trick before half-time, shouldn't he? And that sort of scorpion-kick type uh, finish, if that would have gone in, that would have... Although I think it was, would have been a bit fluky, it would have certainly gone viral online, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, I think it would have been what do they call? it? Is it the Puskas Award for like the the goal of yeah. the year in in the world? I think it certainly would have been up for that. I'd, I'd file it in the probably best goal that never was category. I think it's it's certainly one of those. But just sums him up as a player, doesn't it? Um, and sums up maybe where he is in terms of confidence. That kind of everything that hits him at the moment seems to be going on target, and that wasn't the case as Paddy said towards the end of the Premier League. I remember that one on one against Manchester City. I think where he, he just looked devoid of all confidence. Um, certainly not that now. For me, the most impressive thing with his first goal was actually the the first touch to put it in his path because Campwell's pass was actually behind him, and somehow he's managed to push the ball with his left foot onto his right foot into space to allow him to hit it in the in the top corner, which is um, a magnificent sort of bit of skill. Because when the ball's behind you, it can easily sort of get stuck in your feet. So I think that that kind of shows the quality he has. But um, yeah, I, I think if we any sort of accusations of him forgetting to pack his um, goal-scoring boots on Wednesday evening can be forgiven after yesterday because they were they were certainly there, and it's he's an interesting one because you look at him and. Um, I think he, as as people who speak about football, write about football, you you look at strikers and you say, do do they have that sort of innate goal scoring ability that you kind of it's, it's difficult to quantify, but you can usually tell if a player has it, and he, he's definitely one that that does have it, and um, it's he it, it must be terrifying for defenders, as, as as I've said before, because you know what he's going to do. It's just how do you stop him? Because he's got this this really clever ability to play on the edge of a game and then burst into it and across five ten yards is absolutely rapid so it's is that kind of intelligence maybe that is that is above the level and, and that's the reason that um that he scores so many goals and you you certainly would would fancy him how many games we've we got left now 12 i think off the top of my head and, and he's on 20 11, yeah 11 yeah so i mean you you wouldn't you wouldn't be surprised if he gets towards 25 if not above that goals now the form he's in and that would be a, a well, an unbelievable achievement considering he scored 29 last time out. It's pretty close, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, some some player, definitely for me, an Norwich City legend. It's always hard, I think, to to reflect on a player as that whilst they're still at the club, but he'll certainly be remembered as that. Um, I think our, our colleague Pete Raven put up a nice graph about sort of goals per game and he's in the top five now um, in, in terms of how many goals and, and his goals per game. It's, it's staggering, really. And um, I know everyone will point towards his transfer fee or, or lack of, but... To, it's the consistency for me to be able to do it across two seasons with all of the context and all of the um, doubt. I remember us recording a, a show Probably before before the season, um, questioning maybe whether he he was sort of on a on a downward slope now in his career. Whether that was whether that was that, and I think he's he's probably um, answered us um, quite convincingly with with his performances this season. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you, David. It's an interesting one to see what they do next season, particularly given they've got Ida and and Hugo. You, you would think they probably do need to add an option because as good as he's been. Um, His goals have have still outweighed that of of numerous others and and they probably do need to take the burden off him in the Premier League. But there's a debate for another day. I think it's just about enjoying him and, and the form he's in at the moment. Yeah, I think
0: that's what they were hoping Dermot could be when that was a gamble that didn't pay off. But um, yeah, it's great to see him smiling. It was a really satisfying finish, wasn't it? The way it nestled in the top corner. Uh, and if anyone from the city council's got any sense, they'll be exploring twinning Norwich with a with a city in uh, in Finland. To be honest, do you, know, like some... do
2: you know what I saw a tweet the other day, and it was um, it was about this idea that UEFA might hold the Euros in in England. Obviously, yeah. Finland have qualified. Why not have Norfolk as a base? That would that would be brilliant, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I saw Chris Gorham float that about Colney potentially being Finland's base. Yeah, I think that would be a really good idea. But I think it's Tampere, isn't it, where, where he's from? So, yeah, yeah, let's let's get the 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 twinned um, towns starting here or town and city, whatever. Um, right. Um, two changes, though, from Daniel Farker, weren't there, Pad? Uh, brings in Lucas Rupp and Todd Cantwell. O'Neill um, Hernandez, Mario Vrancic dropped to the bench. Pueheta not even involved. Uh, a Poland international, let's not forget, uh, not even in the squad what did you make of uh of those changes and reasonably bold calls from Daniel considering it's on the back of six successive wins but um I think most people would would agree that they paid off didn't they
1: absolutely well Cantwell for Hernandez was for me a
0: pretty straightforward
1: choice and you know he proved it you know he had an assist for the first goal he scores the third goal um and, and that was really Daniel's take on it when we put it to him after the game, that, you know, prior to his little calf issue, he was in red-hot form. You know, he was contributing significantly um, game to game. Uh, the, the relationship he's developed with Wendy and Puki, I think, is one of the standout reasons why Norwich are doing what they're doing right now. Um, peerless in the division as a three. And, uh, you know, for me, Arnell, um, yet yeah, I mean, it's it's a good option to have in reserve, but I I, I don't even think it's a debate if Todd Cantwell's fit. Todd Todd Cantwell plays on that side of the pitch for me. So, um, no issues with that. Obviously, the one that caught a few, uh, both media and fans, by surprise, I'm sure, was Lucas Rupp in nominally the the 10 role, which we could devote another 15 pods to discussing where Norwich go with the number 10 role right here and then more pertinently maybe when they get back to the Premier League. and he was good. He was good. And, and again, Daniel Daniel's reasoning was that he would bring a, an added energy in terms of the press. He felt that he needed to offer a little bit more flexibility to, to, to deal with what Luton were trying to do in that area of the pitch. He talked about how it allowed Kenny McLean a bit more freedom from deep um, with Lucas Rupp in the side because he does have that defensive instinct. That's obviously where you know he had emerged this season in that holding role alongside Ollie Skip mainly. Um, so it was quite an astute little tactical tweak that and then the other thing he, ju- he just said in terms of his thinking behind that was Mario Rancic played a lot of football. It was the third game in six days, not getting any younger. So probably a good opportunity to dip him out as well. So, um, you know, the players are getting a lot of praise, but I think Daniel got those two absolutely spot on and, uh, you know, got an interesting in Deli Lemmer now moving forward for this coming week with obviously Marco Stephenman back in the mix. And of course, Kieran Dow, you know, Kieran Dow on the bench, probably less than impressed that Lucas Rupp has been catapulted ahead of him. Um, but Daniel was asked about that, actually, that aspect as well after the game and just, again, reiterated that Lucas Rupp, really, training-wise, has been so good and delivering uh, at such a high level that it was almost a no-brainer, and, and you, you take from that, for me, that maybe Kieran Dow hasn't quite hit the heights of what Daniel demands. We know the emphasis he places on what he sees day-to-day at Colney on the training pitch. Kieran's had his injury problems, just looks like a player who maybe need to get to the end of the season, give him a full and uninterrupted pre-season again. So there's no fitness issues. And then we can see what he's about. I mean, we saw a little bit, I thought in that cameo yesterday, put an excellent ball in for Jakob Sorensen, who just really should have hit the target, should have been the fourth goal. So the quality isn't in doubt, but I think right here, right now, I don't think he's going to be influencing games quite to the degree Daniel wants in the 10 role. So yeah, very interesting dyna- dynamic, but, uh, Certainly in terms of yesterday, Lucas Rupp in the 10, Todd Cantwell wide, worked a treat.
0: It did, yeah. I, from sort of more of my thoughts, pinkin.com. I did Lucas for our player watch. So it's that sort of expanded into a slightly uh, wider look at that 10 role. And as I've said, I think in recent pods, I, I see it as almost a bit of an enabling role that, you know, how Steepham played it when things were going well, um, that has developed that bit further now. and And that number 10 is almost... Just supporting and making sure that Campwell and Wendy are free to do what they need to do as like the chief creators for Puki. And it works really well. And the way I see that situation is it's now um, you've got, you know, Branchich was doing pretty well. He didn't do a, a great deal wrong, but, you know, m- did miss chances to score goals. Rupp still hasn't got a goal for the club. Um, Dow did, um, score at Luton, didn't he, in the, in the league cup before he got his ankle injury. And, and and I'd agree he did look bright off the bench that they had the bit between his teeth, but Steveman has got three goals and three assists, I think in, in three games for the under 23s. So he's going to be a man who's hungry to get back involved in sort of the potential promotion success that that's looming here. So it is really interesting, but Connor, would you agree that as, as good as Rupp was yesterday, I thought he was good. and. In my ratings in my video verdicts, I thought he was nearly an eight out of 10, but I stuck with him at, at a seven. But I really think that the, the sort of icing on the cake is going to be the one who can add the goals to the mix, which could just be that final sort of piece of the jigsaw to make that would have meant Norwich were beating teams more emphatically throughout this season.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does with Stephen when he when he does come back. And obviously, there's a, a full training week now, isn't there? So you'd expect him to be in and around it for Sheffield Wednesday, considering his performances for the for the twenty threes. And by all accounts, he he seems to be very sharp. I mean, as you said, their three goals and three assists is is some going, even even against players that perhaps slightly younger. So I think he'll be. Hopefully, uh, in a better place physically now. He's 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 obviously defeated this this virus that has um, that affected him. I think when we watched him play this season, there's been an element of sluggishness about him, and um, we all know Stieperman and, and how good he was two years ago. But then there's a further dilemma in the summer, I guess, because we saw Marco Stieperman fail to deliver in the Premier League. So there's going to be that probably in, in the back of his mind and everyone's mind as well going forward. It's it's a really, really interesting one. It's a position they've not really nailed down as 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 we've spoken about before at great length. And I think you're right. It from who gets it between now and the end of the season in particular is going to be about contribution and and probably output um more than anything else. But yeah, Rupp is has sort of shown himself to to be an option for that position, maybe something that no, no one really considered before Saturday. So it's it's gonna be an interesting battle, I think, over the coming weeks. I think it'll ultimately probably boil down to Steeperman or Dow. Um and then, of course, you've got the subplot of Vrancic's contract. So there's plenty to discuss and, and speak about this position. And, and I'm sure we will in the remaining um, in the remaining how many games and, and weeks and, and months ahead. But, yeah, if, if I'm looking at it as Stuart Weber or one of the recruitment team, it's probably the area that you'd say they, they do need someone in the summer, I think, regardless of what happens between now um, and the end of the season. But Steepenman returning does, does give something a, a little bit different into the debate. And then you're probably asking those around him to respond. But... For me, as it, as it stands, if if Sleeperman's back and he's in, in the form that he's shown for the 23s, then I think it's very hard to see how he doesn't start at Sheffield Wednesday, to be honest. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. That, that's why I think this debate is so
0: interesting at the moment, because it's about the future. You know, if Dowell could force his way in and... uh you know, really lay down that sort of marker and make that position his own, he's 23. The rest of those guys that, you know, it's not old, they're in the early 30s, but Stiefman, 30, Rupp, 30, Franchich 32 in May and his contract's expiring. So I think whatever happens, given that they signed Andre Duda last January on loan, I think if they're going up, which hopefully they are, uh, that there is going to be somebody else coming in. And there could, depending on what happens in this final stage of the season, end up being one or two of that group that we've been discussing, leaving the club. But we shall see. There's a bit of water to go under the uh, go under the bridge. Yeah, there was a club record equals yesterday, which I wanted to mention. And that was um, 17 home games without a defeat in all competitions, uh, which equals a run during 1985-86, um, actually straddled two seasons, went into the start of eighty six eighty seven. So that was the title winners in the second tier that year uh, under Ken Brown, which was, I think, Malcolm Allen scoring the goals, wasn't it, In, in at that point? Um, no, wrong. That's not Malcolm Allen, is it? It's Kevin, Kevin Reeves. Whatever. Sorry, it's poor my time. <laughs> um, but as much as that is equaling a club record, um, they've got a long way to go before equaling that in the league. The team in the early 70s went 31 home league games unbeaten, which was throughout the 71-72 title winning campaign in the second tier and then into the club's first ever season in the top flight. So a long, long way to go before they could get anywhere near that one. But uh, five clean sheets in six, Pad, and 15 clean sheets overall. The club record is 20 clean sheets in a season. Thankfully, we, we've got all these nice little lines to dip into. That would be a heck of an achievement. And the way things are going, 25 conceded, uh, it's possible, isn't it?
1: I'm going to put you on the spot, DF. What, what, what season was the 20? That wasn't the Rob Green 2003-04 season. Was no. It?
0: Uh, bear with me. I can tell you. I think yeah. it was I think it 1970-71.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that historically will tell you. How, how difficult it is to do what they're doing. Fifteen clean sheets is uh, remarkable, really. Um, and it's the manner they're doing it again. Yesterday, Tim Krull, yes, they've hit the post early on, James Collins. But other than that, a bit like Brentford been weak. I don't recall Tim Krul having to make any save whatsoever. It's uh, the, the manner that they're defending their lines now is just so impressive, so cohesive. You know, the Gibson-Hanley axis, but then either side of that, you've got Aarons and now you're new. List. each passing game, he seems to be getting to grips with a little bit more to work on his throw-ins, but we'll leave that one there. And uh, for me, I don't think it's the end of the clean sheets. I think uh, between now and the end of the season, you could probably add a few more to that. Today. And, um, you know, there was, we're talking a lot about numbers here. There was a sort of stat this morning that at this stage two seasons ago, they'd scored 20 more goals, but they'd conceded 20 more as well. So it's pretty much equilibrium in terms of the numbers. But this time around, it's defensive resolve with a dash or three of attacking endeavour. Um and on this topic, I think it's important that the way Daniel talked about it on Friday is that yes, the here and now is getting up, but it's trying to stay up. And and he, he clearly felt that two seasons ago now, defensively, they were so poor uh that they wasn't really giving them a chance to stay in games, you know, and maybe nick a draw or maybe even, you know, nick a late winner or whatever, and that will have to change. That is one of the many facets that has to be far better than from the last time they were in the, in the Premier League under Daniel Farker. And, and the groundwork has clearly been laid right here, right now, with Ben Gibson's arrival, with Janoulis' arrival, and then the work of Ollie Skip in front, Lucas Rupp, Kenny McLean, the whole, the whole way he's altered the balance of the side now to make them a little bit more resolute or a lot more in the Championship. But the big test is, will that template work in the Premier League or at least work to a far better degree than it did? Because... Uh, you know, they're not going to outscore teams in the Premier League next season. So if they do want to stay up, um, and Daniel talks a lot about Sheffield United in their first season, obviously this season they're finding it far tougher. But Sheffield United went up with Norwich two seasons, three seasons ago now, with that defensive mindset. And look how that acted as the platform to do what they did. And, um, Norwich aren't going to obviously try and mimic Sheffield United in terms of that degree. But clearly with with a, a ha- far higher defensive threshold, then you add in a Campbell, Pookie, Buendia, whoever else they bring in attacking-wise, that's a formula for me that might allow them to at least have a fighting chance of staying up next season, as opposed to the way it unraveled quite so desperately two seasons ago.
0: Right. Okay. Firstly, let me correct myself. I was nearly right with Kevin Reeves, but not. It was Kevin Drinkle was the person I was trying to think of. He was the man who was scoring all the goals in 85-86. So third time lucky there. Um, But to answer your question about the clean sheets... Um, Worthington's team of 2004, they kept 17 clean sheets in 46 games. Um, So the current uh, cropper just too short of that one. Um, But you could say, arguably, a bigger achievement. Uh, The title winners in 71, 72 and 85, 86, they both kept 17 as well, but it was in a 42 game season. Uh, The club record of 20, that was in 74, 75 in uh, Division 2, which was a 42 match uh, season. But I mean, arguably, the best achievement would be um 18 clean sheets in 89 90 in the top tier which was a 38 game season so you know um the, would that be the penultimate season of Dave Stringer's reign I think off the top of my head um so yeah they, they are now in that mix you know another five clean sheets this season certainly six and then they're out, <laughs> outright uh gonna take that record and I think there's going to be various records here and there that we can uh we can look at. I should just mention, I'm looking at the Canary Companion, which is Roger Smith's book, um, which uh, I often turn to for for a quick look at uh, records here and there. Um, mentioned in there, Connor, um, Dimitris Yanoulis uh, seems to be progressing along nicely now. I think um, it's certainly an attack we're seeing. It. There was a a bad or a dodgy moment against Brentford, wasn't there, when he got skinned by Mbwemo. But overall, I think people are pretty happy with the way he's moving along.
2: Yeah, I've been I've been very impressed. Just gone about his his work very quietly, um, and beyond. Like you say, that that moment against Brentford, obviously the pass against Stoke and, and a dodgy throw in yesterday, and that was a nice um, clip on Twitter of Daniel Farkas' reaction to that, which is um, which is quite comical as well if I watch. But he's he's been good, and and he looks he looks like a Norwich City fullback, and he has all of the attributes that Norwich City look for in a in a fullback. And um, I see shades of Jamal Lewis in in the way he plays. I think he's he definitely from what we've seen in his opening however many games in a, in an Norwich shirt, looks more capable of um, of completing what Daniel Farker wants than maybe Xavi Quintia does. I think that's that's firstly very evident. Equally, looks a player that has had a bit of time adapting to the level. And it's interesting, uh, before we started recording, I was reading the, the interview he did with uh, the programme and, and he said that there's uh, a lot of differences between the Championship and Greek football, which is probably what we'd all expect. But Inevitably, there is that bedding in period, and and you've got to remember his first two games were a uh, Neil Warnock side at home, which is quite the culture shock for anyone, I would suspect, and then um, a trip to the Den, and and they're very defensively resolute. So, I, I'd be I'd, I'd be hard pressed to pick a, a tougher set of fixtures for anyone to walk into um, than those. But quietly, he's he's been progressing very well, I think, and um, certainly as a back four. Now with uh, Aaron's on the other side um, and, and and Hanley and Gibson, there's a lot of balance and and there's a lot of security and a lot of and a lot of quality, crucially. And I think you can you can see now the 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 way that back four is being moulded for a long term. Obviously, the the main area is Max, isn't it, and, and his long term future. But if, if that was your back four, I think that that took you into the Premier League. You would probably feel a lot more confident about it than maybe the one that Norwich went up with two years ago, just because of the quality they've got. And then, I guess the final piece is about um, is about Oli Skip. And I'm sure uh, when this promotion does get uh, does get done, attentions will be turned onto whether Norwich City can keep him next season. So, as a defensive Six, if you want to call that with crawling behind them, you this is certainly playing a massive part in that, um, and I think he's getting better and better um, still areas as you say for improvement as there is with every single player, but he, he looks like a, a a player who, if he was asked to step up to Premier League level would would do a a pretty decent job so um all in all for, for him, I'd say it's a pretty good start to life at Norwich City. Yeah, Skip particularly against Brentford was sensational, wasn't he? A really good late block. He put, He
0: was excellent that night. And yeah, the Norwich fans almost need to uh, need him to tail off in form, don't they? <laughs> just to, he's rubbish. Yeah, he he's is. Rubbish. Yeah, I, I see Colin Murray w- took it upon himself on uh, on Quest to start that sort of campaign. That uh, yeah, Skip is overrated. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think it's worth mentioning uh, just to finish on the game, Pad that. Um, I wouldn't say it flattered Norwich at all, but but Luton were in this game, weren't they? It wasn't like they were totally rolled over and they did hit the post. It it reminded me a bit of the Birmingham game that they they almost caught Norwich a bit cold in that first 10 minutes, didn't
1: they? We did, yeah. Nathan Jones, their manager, excellent post-match interview, well worth checking out on uh, com. but essentially um, overlooking the the reference to Man City of the Championship. But he he talked about, well, he's referred to Norwich and how good they are, but he, he said that they knew they had to be clinical because as he said that I mean Luton beat Norwich at Kenilworth Road uh before Christmas, and since then he said they'd only conceded eleven goals, so you know straight away, particularly coming to Car Road as well fans or no fans, you get any early chances you've got and as good as James Collins had that sliding far post uh, flick against the base of Tim crawl's post that has to go in because you know Norwich are going to come for you anyway and um and that almost just uh, focused the minds again. You know, if there was any little kind of hangover from, from Brentford and a little bit of sluggishness in how Norwich started the game, that that woke them up in a big way. And, uh, and it, six, seven minutes after James Collins is missed, Timmy slapping that home. And uh, there was only going to be one winner from there. So big moments. If you're, if you're a Luton, no disrespect to them, but if you're a Luton coming to Norwich, this Norwich, and you get a chance as good as that, you have to take it. And, um, you know, he was he was very fulsome in his praise, but I, I, you got the sense he was a little bit frustrated that you know if they get that goal, it's a different game, then you know then Norwich have to sort of do something a little bit different, and grow growing confidence, and um, and we've seen it. You know, it, it hasn't as much as you look at the the results, and it's win, 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 time seven. You know, within all of these games, you know, I think Stoke at Cairo they had moments as well some slight self-inflicted uh, errors from Norwich, which Connor kind of just touched on when you knew this, but uh, they had some discomforting moments for Norwich. Birmingham were very good in the first half at St. Andrews. Coventry, uh, on occasion, uh, caused them one or two problems. Wickham, you know, huffed and puffed. And, and when it was only 1-0 for a prolonged period in that second half, it just takes a set piece or a ball to drop. And, uh, you know, all of these teams have been able to momentarily at least or for periods, ten, fifteen minute bursts caused Norwich a few problems, but none of them really have, have had that clinical edge they needed to to really, you know, put Norwich under pressure and uh, and as a result, you know, Norwich have always found a way to, to get through those discomforting moments. And uh, you know, it, credit to Luton that they tried to have a go you know, they went on the front foot, they tried to press high, but, you know, it was pretty evident once Norwich got the first goal. And then certainly when they got that second just before half-time, it was only going to be a matter of how many, really. And, uh, you know, for them, it's ultimately staying in the division. And I think they're going to achieve that pretty comfortably. You look at where they are at the table, the gap they've got to the, the bottom three clubs, um, that is a very, very good season for them. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he develops from there because, obviously, he's back there in his second spell. Uh, he, he felt Stoke was a better opportunity for him and he left um, didn't go very well from there, so it's just we'll see how far he can take Luton, but but there's no doubt, you know, they like a lot of clubs this season have found if you have Norwich where you want them, you need to make the most of it because if you don't, you're going to get punished.
0: Yeah, he um, he was sat in front of us, wasn't he, in the press box uh, during the warm up, uh, studying Norwich's warm up really um getting into that and seeing if he could pick any little uh late bits of information up but um they are 12 points clear 44 points so um you know he he rescued them from relegation last year and is a bit of a club legend so it'll be interesting to, to see how things develop um as pad mentioned earlier swansea have got one of their games in hand on tuesday night that's at blackburn so they could cut the gap to eight points And they would still have another game in hand. Uh, Brentford's home game against Rotherham was postponed because Rotherham have had another Covid outbreak so that isn't until later in the season and Brentford have actually slipped down to fourth place and when you look at the table as well, Barnsley are doing so well uh, their winning streak's taking them up to sixth place now, and they've got uh, a game in hand on Reading to uh, to catch up the uh, level on points with them. So um, that playoff battle is going to be a really interesting one. But next up is next Sunday, another lunchtime, Sunday lunchtime game at Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. And, Connor, if we turn our attentions back to that first game to sort of continue on from, from the theme that we've just been talking about there, that was another game where Norwich really had to work hard and show character. They were behind until... Uh, late on, weren't they? And then it was the Josh Martin and, and Max Aaron's goals which came into it. But Darren Moore lost his first two. They've lost, I think it is six in a row. I'm not sure if it's a good time to go there or not, really.
2: Yeah, the most the most informed or joint most informed side against the the, the side out of form. So yeah, it, it is that. And, and there's also the new manager element, isn't there? And, and any bounce, but like you say, he's lost his first games. So hopefully that that squashes that. Um, and of course, we've got the the Jordan Road side of it as well uh, that that could potentially play into things if if he decides uh, to to play. And I know Darren Moore spoke pretty highly of him in his in his first press conference, so that's a, an, another dimension. But Hillsborough is never an easy place to go. I think, regardless of how Sheffield Wednesday are doing, um, they're clearly scrapping for their lives. And as we spoke about last week, um often those sides at the bottom can can prove to be more dangerous than maybe the, the sides sort of floating in mid table because they've got a scrap for every point. There's there's going to be no um situation like Nathan Jones has where he can change five players and and pick which fixtures he wants to name is his best side in for Sheffield Wednesday. It's it's um every game and every point is is pivotal at the moment, particularly in the situation they find themselves in. But if ever there's a a model that, that shows how Successful Norwich have been, uh, or, or an opposite model that, that show how successful Norwich have been. It's probably Sheffield Wednesday um, because they've they've gone through the managers. You look at their managers uh, recently: Steve Bruce, Tony Pulis, um, Darren Moore. Now, obviously, uh, numerous others in between that. Jos, uh, um Luke Ayre with the, the moustache. Um, they've kind of floated in uh, between styles. They don't have a defined way of playing. They don't really have a club structure. Um, there's been a lot of money put into that club and. Not necessarily they haven't necessarily seen the return for that since Carlos Carajal left. And um, it kind of feels a bit like the Ipswich scenario where they just kind of seem to be regressing every year until they get relegated. And that's probably going to be this season. So um, it's going to be a tough one for Norwich. But as as Paddy said, providing they're on their in form on their game then realistically it's difficult to see how anyone can can take a point off them, particularly in the form they're in. So I think it would be down to Norwich um, having an off day and Sheffield Wednesday being at their best. But, you know, being no doubt Sheffield Wednesday will be a difficult proposition and, and they'll really fancy uh, this one against a side top of the league. And when you're top of the league, you're, you're a target, aren't you? Everyone wants to shoot you down, so they'll be no different. And for Norwich, it's, it's going to be another test of their mentality. Just to go back to yesterday, I think that one of the more impressive things would be that there, there could have been an element of sort of after the Lord Mayor's show about it after that Brentford win, and those games are often hard to pick yourself up for and to actually get through. And the fact Norwich did, I think, speaks volumes to their their mentality and and the quality they have at the moment. So if if they can go there to, to Hillsborough and get another three points, that would take them to what seventy nine. They're pretty close to that eighty target then. So um, it would it would look even better than it does at the moment. But as Daniel, I'm sure Daniel Farkle would just say, it's a another step. Yeah. Um... And they had a
0: player sent off as well, didn't they? Julian Borner at uh, Reading. So he'll be missing defender. I think he was linked with Norwich back in the day, wasn't he? Because um, he was established in, in the second tier in Germany. So um, we shall see. It'll be an interesting one. There is a club record to equal, I believe, off the top of my head as well on Sunday, which would be uh, eight consecutive wins, which, of course, Farker's team did two seasons ago. That was a club record in all competitions. So um, that, that's one to, to keep uh, to keep going for. But really, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday, pad just to, just to finish on it. When I think about them, actually, I, should, I just wanted to say with Jordan Rhodes, someone mentioned this in the live blog on Saturday, Should that Rhodes is out of contract in the summer, should Norwich be signing him? i just had a look. No. Three goals in 26 games, 31. No. I mean, that, that ship has sailed. People have just got to let that one go, really. He's, you know, is not a forward-thinking signing for Norwich in the Premier League. Maybe if they were still in the Championship. But still, that would be a massive, maybe. But no, Sheffield Wednesday, I'm more than, I can only think of really a handful of players that I know that much about. You know, Rhodes, obviously, Barry Bannon, Adam Reach. I think Kieran Westwood is still there as the keeper, isn't he? But that probably says a lot for, for where they are as a club.
1: It does, but um, you're right. And I know it was Tony Pulis in charge, but, you know, that needed a little bit of Max Max Aaron's uh, brilliance uh, at Clara Road. Um, One of those very rare pilot games, there was a few thousand in there uh, that day. And, uh, you know, that game was in the balance for a long spell. So I think you do have to respect them, even though it looks like, you know, they are a club certainly on the pitch in decline. And uh, it's going to be very hard now to stay up looking at the current league table. but You know, I I think it would be a remiss to sort of package this as Norwich just need to turn up and uh, roll them over and that's it and get out of dodge with the three points. I mean, prior to that, last season, prior to two seasons ago, sorry, in the Championship, uh, Norwich went there very emphatically that day. Max Aarons was very good again that day, I remember. Pookie scored. But prior to that, Hillsborough had been uh, not a happy hunting ground. I think Norwich's record there was horrendous. Every time I've ever been there with Norwich prior to that game, it just felt like they were on the end of a 4-0, 5-0. I remember Alex Neal's team once went there and got absolutely battered. Um, the final game of that season, Farkas' first season, actually, the Madison on crutches waving to the away oh, end. Yeah. That, that was a 5-1, wasn't it, off the top of my head? So, yeah. Hills, Hillsborough has not been a very very welcoming place for Norwich teams in certainly the last 10 years or so, prior to the last time they went there with Farkas, So, let's hope that's a sign of, of things to come on Sunday. But uh, I just think... I, I, I tend to think at this stage of the season, take yourself away from what the league table tells you, and uh, and just treat each game on its merits. You know, Wickham were rock bottom uh, last Sunday, and that was a very difficult affair. Um, until Norwich just found a little bit of attacking quality to keep them at bay, but you know, by no means was that a cruise, and I wouldn't expect this to be, particularly given they've obviously lost heavily this weekend against Reading. The games are running out. If they're going to stay up, it has to happen sooner rather than later, and uh, you know. They, they will be, I'm sure you can imagine, Darren Moore this week just tells his players, look, there's no pressure on you. Everybody thinks you're going to get battered anyway. Um, live on Sky, go and show everybody what a good player you are. There's no expectancy. It's all on Norwich. Uh, they'll turn up. Everybody expects them to win. Go and express yourself. So um, if Norwich aren't quite at it, then you get caught out and it doesn't matter if it's Norwich 10 points clear or not. In this championship, it's the toughest league in the world for a reason and uh, Norwich really need to be as excellent as they were in terms of mindset. Conor's right, you know, it was the mindset against Luton as much as the way they played. You know, they wanted to go out there and put on a statement and show they are as good as they are and if they can retain that over the coming days, um, then you would think they would have too much for Sheffield Wednesday but, you know, plenty of times in plenty of seasons past teams at the very bottom pull pull out results when they need to and it defies all logic and all reason if you look at the league table. So, um, you know, let's, Let's just um, focus on Sheffield Wednesday and then everything else will take care of itself.
0: Yeah, let's just hope they can maintain that sort of relentless mindset. And it's interesting you mentioned that 5-1 defeat at Wednesday at the end of Fox's first season because, of course, that's when Madison got the injury and it put the whole Leicester deal in doubt, didn't it, in the next couple of months. So um, this is for another day and, and hopefully this is the sort of thing that we uh, are having to discuss in, in sort of a month's time or something. But if Norwich are promoted do you still play buendia and aarons and campwell or do you rest pookie for for the euros and things like that there would be quite some some, some delicate decisions to be uh to be made beyond that point but as i say we'll we'll just hold off on that for for a little while for, for the here and now it's just uh hoping that norwich can keep going and as far as fans are concerned hopefully with the way the roadmap has been uh laid out and the the success of the vaccination so far at the very least hopefully by April or maybe even the end of March, people will be able to watch games with, with friends and family, maybe have a few beers in sort of the group of six or whatever. We'll we'll have to see how those things develop. But that, that would at least be a step forward. But whether there's going to be any fans at all in grounds at, at EFL games before the end of the season, it, it's still looking pretty unlikely as things stand. But at least they're giving us plenty of reasons to smile and, and plenty of entertainment. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, keep safe. And of course, you can find all the latest Norwich City news at pinkin.com. And don't forget, on the newsstands, Eastern Daily Press, Norwich Evening News in print as well, if you get the opportunity to go down to the shop. Thanks very much for listening. We'll catch up with you soon.